and welcome to Fresh Fusion, a weekly show where we discuss the business, the art, the ethics of content creation on the open web. My name is Jared White, and this is episode 63, Blue Skies Smiling at Me. (laughs) Blue skies. Anyway, uh, yeah, this is going to be an interesting episode because it is following up on some of the conversation covered in the previous episode where I talked about why I eventually left the Fediverse and using Mastodon and went back to Twitter. Um, But this is sort of going in the opposite direction now where Twitter is looking at joining the Fediverse. (laughs) Oh man, you live long enough and everything always circles around. There's so much loop-de-loop going on in history. It's just, it's crazy. (laughs) If you don't like how things are now, just wait. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, but before we get into all that, um, I wanted to touch on a a couple other points. Uh, First of all, there wasn't an episode last week, because last week was inauguration week here in the United States. And uh, between work and watching all the news, uh, I, I was just sort of on, on content overload. Uh, so I apologize we didn't put out an episode. Um, but uh, I just wanted to kind of give a, a quick summary of thoughts around what's going on right now in politics. Because it, it really feels like something I haven't seen in my lifetime, which is the... the the question of what the political spectrum is, at least here in America right now, is no longer left versus right, conservative versus liberal. That's what we've all assumed was the political spectrum. And what we're now discovering is that the political spectrum is, in fact, competent versus incompetent. (laughs) Or to put even in stronger terms, basically decent versus thoroughly corrupt. (laughs) Um, And listen, I'm not here to to bash Republicans per se. It's unfortunate that we do have a major political party that has been infiltrated, if you will, by the incompetent and thoroughly corrupt. Um, But there are competent and not corrupt people still in the Republican Party. And as we're learning now, you know, as we learn more about what went on inside the Trump administration, particularly around COVID and the, you know, the kind of medical uh, information that was being disseminated and discussed and so forth, you know, there, there are people of integrity in the Democrat Party, in the Republican Party. And what we're really dealing with right now is an, a restoration of basic decency and competence. And, you know, again, I, I don't want to make this sound like I'm just going, yay for the Democrats, boo to the Republicans, because you know, that's not what I want. I don't want a one-party system here in America. One-party systems are not good. It's bad for democracy. We need a, a robust conservative party with integrity, and we need a robust liberal party with integrity. And, you know, 
honestly, I'd love it for there to be, you know, one or two other major parties that can uh, have a seat at the table as well. You know, we need a diversity of voices and opinions. Um, but, you know, you, you got to play the hand you're dealt. And right now, the hand we're dealt is, it seems like, at least for now, uh, the, the majority of people who are able to operate governments with some level of competence and, and, and rationality uh, are people in the Democratic Party. And so, you know, here we are. And we're, we're seeing this, you know, just in the first few days of the new Biden administration where, um, you know, things that it seemed like it was taking months, if not years, if ever, to accomplish, you know, basic things, basic aspects of governance that needs to happen. Um, it's just happening in a matter of days. And, and you just got to look at it and scratch your head and think, so one guy was in charge for four years and couldn't get some completely basic, not even partisan things accomplished to help Americans at large, it couldn't happen somehow for some reason. And then this other guy gets in charge and boom, 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 stuff just starts happening. And everyone's, everyone on the internet, you know, you look at all these comments and pretty much everyone says the same thing. Oh, thank God the adults are back in the room. You know, it was just chaos. It was chaos. And now all of a sudden there's order and it's, it's just, it's kind of freaky if you think about it, like it's freaky that our federal government can turn on a dime like that just, you know, literally with some new people in charge. And, you know, it's it's a good reminder in general that, you know, as much as we get cynical about institutions and about politics and, you know, we tend to kind of lump things into these buckets where like, oh, these big corporations or, oh, the federal government or, oh, the this or, oh, the that. And we think they're kind of, you know, these independent entities with their own, uh, you know, inertia or whatever. Not really. Not really. You can have a company like Apple and it could be run by somebody like Tim Cook or it could be run by some other person and it would turn into a totally different company with a different culture and a different set of priorities and a different agenda, you know? And, you know, you, you look at the federal government and it can turn into a different kind of organization with a different set of priorities and a different set of, of objectives. Um, you know, look at what happened to Microsoft a number of years back. You know, Microsoft used to be the big, evil, scary company that was ruining tech uh, and now, like, Microsoft's been doing a lot of cool stuff. And we're all worried about other companies, like Facebook or whatever. <laughs> a lot can happen. A lot can change just by putting someone else in charge. <laughs> and I know it, it sounds sort of trite to just say that out of the blue, like, get somebody else in charge so they can get the job done. But it's true. It's absolutely true. Get somebody else in, uh, in charge, put them on the job, Give them a mandate and let them do their job. And that's what's happening right now in America. We, we told somebody, okay, okay, Joseph R. Biden, it's time for you to do what you claim you can do, which is bring some sense of decorum and decency back to the White House, bring people together from different walks of life, 
and get a job done that we desperately need to get done because the previous guy couldn't do it in four years. Uh, so that's what we're seeing now. And just, you know, out of many, many, many headlines, <laughs> there's just one headline here, which you know, I don't even need to read the article. Just reading the headline cracks me up. Uh, it's from CNN. Buy American Act. Biden will sign order aimed at strengthening American manufacturing. <laughs> so are you telling me? That Biden is the Make America Great Again president. <laughs> I mean, you can't make this stuff up. We had a guy literally get elected on the slogan, Make America Great Again. And he did not. And then the next guy comes along and he's already signing executive orders that are directly related to this idea that we need to make America great again. But not the, you know... Not the racist, fascist uh, movement that MAGA came to represent. This is like the actual thing of like, hey, let's, you know, let's try to strengthen our manufacturing sector here in America. That's a good thing, right? I think we can all agree that's a good thing. <sighs> you know, it's, it's just crazy. But, uh, but, you know, I think, you know, if, if things continue this year, and especially over the next few months, as they have the last few days... I think it'll be clear that, you know, the, 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 the ruling, the prevailing winds of politics in America are, are no longer just sort of this abstract, you know, policy theory of liberal versus conservative, left versus right. It's, you know, at its core, competence versus incompetence. And I sure hope that we've learned our lesson and do not hire an incompetent buffoon to lead this country anytime in the future. All right, that's it. I'm off my politics soapbox for the day. <laughs> this next article is uh, actually something very, very uh, trivial, but fun. Um, so, you know, you've all seen those pictures of early computer graphics renderings where it's like, it's like a checkered floor that's all glossy, and then there's like a glass sphere that's reflecting everything, and maybe there's like a triangle or something. Just these sort of you know basic geometric shapes, and everything's kind of shiny and reflective. And it's like, ooh, we can create 3D graphics and render them inside of a computer. Look how cool this is. And it's from the you know the 80s or whatever. Um, well. Uh, 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 a bunch of artists, photographers have created uh, this series of, of photographs that look exactly like those early CG renderings. Um, you know, maybe until you zoom way in and start to notice tiny little imperfections and details that make you think, hmm. Um, but at first glance, you're like, oh, yeah, that's a rendering. No, it's a photograph. Um, so that's really cool. The link's in the show notes, the Wired article that talks about this. Um, but uh, it's funny because, you know, the, the entire history of computer graphics, by and large, has been, you know, pushing the realism envelope. How do we get to look more photorealistic? How do we get to look more photorealistic? Um, and this project goes the opposite direction. How do we get photos to look like computer graphics renderings? Uh, so, so I got a kick out of that. All right, so back to the meat of this episode, back to talking about Twitter. So uh, Twitter has had this initiative uh, for some time now. I've reported on this before, 
this, they created this initiative back in 2019 called Blue Sky. And for a long time, I hadn't heard anything about Blue Sky. And all through, you know, 2020, when the pandemic hit and then the, the crazy election cycle happened and all, the, you know, all these political events were going on, um, I didn't hear anything about Blue Sky. And I theorized, uh, you know, that Blue Sky was maybe just on the back burner, you know, permanently delayed until some future time when everything calms down, whatever that means. Um, apparently, that wasn't the case at all. In fact, Blue Sky is actually back in the news in a big way and um, making some progress. So I'm here to talk to you all about that. Uh, the first uh, signs of life came from a very detailed article from TechCrunch by Lucas Matney. And in this article, Lucas details the, the history of Blue Sky, uh, what its goals have been, uh, what they've been doing for a while now, and, and where this is all headed. So I'm just going to read here uh, a little section of the article because I think it's really, really important. And you know, rather than me just sort of, uh, you know, yada, 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 uh, try to explain what the article is saying, I'll just read you a portion of the article here because it's very clear and then you'll know exactly what we're all talking about. So here we go. Researchers involved with Blue Sky revealed to TechCrunch an initiative still in its earliest stages that could fundamentally shift the power dynamics of the social web. Whoa. <laughs> Blue Sky is aiming to build a durable web standard that will ultimately ensure that platforms like Twitter have less centralized responsibility in deciding which users and communities have a voice on the internet. While this could protect speech from marginalized groups, it may also upend modern moderation techniques and efforts to prevent online radicalization. What is Blue Sky? Just as Bitcoin lacks a central bank to control it, a decentralized social network protocol operates without central governance, meaning Twitter would only control its own app built on Blue Sky, not other applications on the protocol. The open and independent system would allow applications to see, search, and interact with content across the entire standard. Twitter hopes that the project can go far beyond what the existing Twitter API offers, enabling developers to create applications with different interfaces or methods of algorithmic curation, potentially paying entities across the protocol like Twitter for plug-and-play access to different moderation tools or identity networks. Hmm. Okay, that, that's a lot of information packed into a few sentences. So let me try to break that down for you. Essentially, Twitter is trying to deal with uh, several different concerns and, and look at this all in a very comprehensive way. Uh, and in fact, uh, another item of note here is uh, Blue Sky just a few days ago posted on their own Twitter account that they've released a report of all the research they've been doing over the past number of months uh, into all the existing social networking related protocols out there right now and what their various strengths and weaknesses are uh, and what you know maybe would need to be changed or upgraded for it to be suitable for Twitter's uh, goals. Uh, but anyway, so let me let me break down what I just read. Uh, essentially, Twitter is trying to look at a number of different uh, angles here. 
One of which is simply content sharing. How do you share content across different networks, across different properties, if you will? So if Twitter were just one of many destinations people go to to share content, you know, how, how would Twitter interoperate with other destinations? So content is a priority here. Moderation is a priority. How do people choose their own form of governance? In other words, you know, if you use Twitter, you're forced to abide by Twitter's rules, by Twitter's policies. And, you know, there's only so much you can do if you don't happen to like those rules and policies. Uh, are there other properties people could use instead of Twitter with a different set of rules and policies? Um, that could still potentially interoperate with Twitter. So moderation is the second thing. Um, the third thing is curation, this, this term called algorithmic curation. Um, this is actually interesting because um, Jack Dorsey has talked about this a lot lately, and it hasn't been something that I personally resonate with as as a problem to be solved but i guess he feels like it's a problem to be solved and you know other people out there have maybe said uh similar things but essentially the idea is you know if you use twitter you can either you know view things chronologically uh and for a while that wasn't even possible in the official app you had to go to a third-party twitter app for that but uh, but they, they added back in the ability to view purely chronological posts, meaning that every time there's a new tweet you know, from anyone you follow and so forth, that's at the top, and it pushes everything else down. So it's always newest at the top, newest at the top. Um, and as pointed out in the article, that itself technically is an algorithm. We, just, we don't really think of it as an algorithm in the sense that you know, things are being sort of determined through some kind of uh, series of, of filters or whatnot. But um, anyway, so there's the reverse cron uh, blog style way of, of ordering things. And then there's the algorithm. So Twitter has the algorithm that determines, you know, what you see in your feed and in which order. So some things might be pushed down, some things might rise to the top, other things maybe, you know, won't really show up at all because if you're following thousands of people and they're all posting millions of things, you know, uh, you know, you could scroll for hours and only see, you know, the last uh, 20 minutes of content, perhaps. So, you know, they're, they're, the, the algorithm has to determine what uh, you see and what you don't see. Uh, and that's where people's concerns come in because they're like, well, how do I know what this algorithm is doing? How do I know how it's determining what I see and what I don't see? Um, so, uh, so that's potentially at play here in this, uh, in this Blue Sky initiative. People could choose to use different cur uh, algorithmic curation features. Um, I don't know if that means uh, that they could do that through Twitter or that they could just use a different service that has a different feed algorithm. Um, so it's interesting to, to see, um, the, the level of thought and, um, consideration that's going into, uh, how this all could work. Uh, so again, we're, we're mainly looking at three things here, uh, you know, how to share and disseminate content and consume content, uh, how to handle moderation, 
uh, the algorithmic curation factor. Oh, there's a fourth thing. So there's actually a fourth thing now, uh, which is the identity uh, of people posting things, people or companies or whatever. Um, you know, uh, when you're on Twitter, you have an identity, you have a profile, you have a username. Um, you know, how does that identity get used or shared? Uh, how do you determine someone's identity? You know, on Twitter, they have the, the blue checkmark verification system, uh, which has been widely criticized, and I think for good reason, because it's, you know, entirely unclear and opaque. <laughs> Who gets the blue checkmark and why? And why do some people seem to still have a blue checkmark and other people don't? You know, you see someone, you know, with, with you know, a, a large following posting good information and they're not verified for some reason. And then you see someone else just promoting utter dreck, just ridiculous nonsense. Uh, and they still have a blue check mark. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, that, that kind of, uh, uh, you know, identity and, and, uh, you know, who's, who's a big wig, who's a, who's a so-and-so, um, you know, that's another factor to this. Uh, so anyway, you know, all that to say, Blue Sky is actively investigating all of these different issues and looking at them from the standpoint of, you know, what can Twitter do to help further, um, you know, essentially breaking out all these different pieces so it's not solely the domain of Twitter as a corporation. You know, Twitter would still be a popular destination. People would be on Twitter. They would want to be on Twitter. They would use Twitter for the things you can do on Twitter. Um, but Twitter would just be, you know, part of a broader, larger in uh, internet conversation. Um, of course, that then raises all the concerns that come up of like, well, what does that mean? People are going to go start their own alt-right social network where it's okay to be racist and fascist and all this, you know, far-right kind of stuff that's that we've seen rise up lately. Um, and Twitter's just going to federate with those people? Like, <laughs> how's this going to work? Um, so, you know, lots of open questions. But I, I don't want to prematurely get cynical and just poo-poo everything. And you see that, you know, you see people looking at this and going, ah, you know, they're just rolling their eyes and thinking this is some sneaky way for Twitter to wipe their hands and absolve themselves of the responsibility to kick out all the Nazis and, and so forth. Um, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be cynical. I don't want to you know, prejudge uh, where this is going and why they're doing it. Um, I think, you know, purely on the technical merits, uh, what Blue Sky is doing is really exciting and I hope that something comes of it that's really cool. Uh, it, it could, you know, this could mean uh, social networks get back to what made the early web so great. You know, this idea that anyone can just create a website and put it out there and you're on the web and you're publishing. You know, this open publishing model of the web is what has made it so great for so many years. And you know, all the concerns around, uh, you know, moderation and, and getting, getting the trolls out of the system and all that, you know, that's all important. But um, I think we, we really need to value the openness of the web. And I think we need to value potentially the openness of social networking. And so, you know, we should applaud what the Blue Sky Initiative is doing here. 
One last thing about Twitter. <laughs> so much Twitter news. I feel like I'm I'm turning into the Twitter podcast here. Um, but they've announced another initiative called Birdwatch. What a great name. <laughs> so great. Twitter Birdwatch. And the jury is definitely still out on this. I, I have mixed feelings. I saw a lot of pushback on this, and I, I kind of maybe agree at this, at this point with the pushback. Um, it's hard to say. It could be good. But anyway, um, Birdwatch is uh, this initiative where uh, you can basically engage in a conversation around a tweet that is not on Twitter itself. It's kind of a secondary layer of information um, that is about the, the, the veracity of the tweet. So, you know, is this tweet disseminating false information? Is it harmful? Uh, you know, some, some kind of comment on uh, if, if this tweet is, uh, you know, within the bounds of good taste and truth and whatever. Uh, and people can, um, you know, basically, uh, you know, click a little icon in Twitter and, and enter in these comments. Uh, but instead of it just being like, you know, essentially a glorified email form that goes to, you know, Twitter headquarters and vanishes, <laughs> which is what we've had so far with, you know, moderation reports. Um, you know, this is actually uh, like uh, an open source project that's, um, or at least some of it's open source. I'd have to double check that. But um, it, it's, it's this project that Twitter's trying to do more out in the open with open data that researchers can look through. And it, it, it essentially kind of opens up debate around you know, something that's on Twitter, uh, and it's happening outside of the normal flow of Twitter tweets. So instead of just replying to a tweet and saying, you're an idiot, you could basically tell Twitter, this person's an idiot. <laughs> and, and that conversation could happen, you know, offline, as we like to say, which never makes sense, because it's still online. But you know what I mean. Um, so we'll see. This is just rolling out in the U.S. They're, they're doing sort of a pilot program. And, um, you know, it remains to be seen if this will prove actually useful in fact-checking and, you know, helping, uh, you know, kind of further moderation efforts or if it'll just, you know, as the critics say, become this sort of or Orwellian thought police mechanism where, you know, it's just yet another way to silence voices. So... <laughs> We'll see how it goes. But at the end of the day, this is why I say over and over and over again that you can't paint all the large social networks with the same brush. You can't say Twitter is Facebook, is Instagram, is TikTok, is this, is that. It's all just big media, big tech, whatever. Every company's different. Every company has different leadership. Every community of people using social networks has a different vibe. Uh, these are all very different. And I think it's a mistake for anyone in the media to just sort of rattle off a bunch of social networks as sort of this conglomerate of the social networks. Uh, because they're all different. And they're going to get more different. I think we're, we're starting to see the, uh, you know... What do you want to call it? 
the the scattering, if you will, the scattering of of social networking as a concept uh, away from just you know being this very tightly controlled centralized concept. Uh, we're seeing it, it it spread out. You know, people are are self organizing away from even traditional social networking platforms for a lot of things. You know, you see the rise of chat rooms like Discord for a lot of conversation, whereas before maybe that kind of conversation would have happened on Twitter. Um, so you're just you're seeing people going to more places. You're seeing new social networks come up, some good, some bad. You see the big social networks themselves not necessarily wanting to be <laughs> as big as they are. Well, maybe except Facebook. Um, so yeah, this this is this is going to be an area of extreme interest for me uh, over the next couple years because I think you're going to see a lot of changes, a lot of shift, uh, a lot of um, upending of conventional wisdom, both technical and political, uh, around social networks. And and we here at Fresh Fusion are here to cover every minute of it. All right, thank you for tuning in to this week's podcast. As always, my name is Jared White, and you can go to jaredwhite.com to follow me there and to subscribe to my newsletter, uh, as well as check out past episodes of the show. And until next week, bye, everybody. Bye.